My name is Randy, and uh, one of the teaching team. I have not been here, uh, up here for four Sundays in a row. I don't usually get that many off in a whole year, so uh, thank you to Joy and uh, Kevin and uh, Tommy uh, for leading those times while Claire and I were away, and then last week for that special time. Well, last September, I uh, initiated a sermon series called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And the goal was to um, get back to the Gospels, back to the life and teaching of Jesus as recorded in the four Gospels, to, to help us in the process of becoming and growing as his disciples. And as you might imagine, uh, we're going to be working on this for a while. By uh, April this year, we had made our way in Jesus' life to the teaching of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in any good story, occasionally there's a need to pause and remember uh, some of what has gone on before. And uh, I've been thinking about this week for four weeks, as you can imagine, uh, for this morning. And as I sat down yesterday, I sensed the Holy Spirit say, hmm, how about we take a week to sort of look at some of the major themes that we have discussed over these months in contrast to moving on to the next section of material, which we will do next week. So as I reflected with the Holy Spirit, um, I, I, I sensed that there were three themes that he wanted us to highlight this morning and be reminded. The first is the authority of Jesus' teaching. The second is the presence of God's kingdom life. And the third, the availability of eternal life now. And so we're just going to take a few minutes this morning, kind of review. We've got a few no newer folk that wouldn't have heard uh, hardly any of this. And so uh, this is kind of a way to get caught back up. Before we head into that, let's pray. Loving Father, Son, and Spirit, what a privilege it is to experience life with you, to be invited into relationship, to lead us to fullness of life. And yet we find ourselves fairly regularly not experiencing that life, but rather experiencing the perishing life. Would you help us as a community to become more aware of your presence, the life that you are providing to us, and join you in that life. Speak words of life even now as we reflect on these themes in Jesus' name. Let it be so. The authority of Jesus' teaching. When we read and study Jesus' teaching, it's important for us to distinguish Jesus' authority and teaching above all other teachings.
teaching, including writers of the Old and New Testament. In Mark 1, we're told, when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Though the teaching of Jesus differed from the teaching of the scribes in content, the contrast drawn here has to do with the source of the material. The knowledge of scribes was derived from other scribes, other teachers, other tradition, the Old Testament. And their teaching was supported by quoting the sayings of others. Jesus, however, taught as a spokesman from God. In one way, as Moses had, however, Jesus taught as one having authority in himself. Five times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And two of those named one of the Ten Commandments. Moses is considered one of the greatest prophets of God. Exodus 33:11 says of him, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Moses was an amazing man, and his writings were amazing. But Jesus and his words were greater than Moses. The writer of Hebrews says this about them. Jesus had been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. Jesus was not another prophet among prophets, nor another teacher among teachers. Jesus was God incarnate, and through him we have the most clear picture of God ever revealed. The Apostle John said of Jesus, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made Him known. John is, is sort of using hyperbole here, saying that, well, compared to Jesus, it's as if no one has ever seen God, including Moses. In Matthew eleven twenty seven, Jesus says, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus' knowledge and revelation of the Father is so much greater than all others that it's as though they didn't know God at all. Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The Apostle Paul said of Jesus, Christ is the visible likeness of the invisible God. Through Jesus, we have the clearest words and descriptions of all Scripture as to who God is, what He is like, and how we are to know Him. Jesus said in John 14, the words which you hear are not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
In Matthew eleven eleven, Jesus describes John the Baptist saying, I tell you the truth, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. But then in John 5, Jesus says, you sent messengers to John and he testified to the truth, but I have a testimony greater than John's. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this about Jesus. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the universe. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact representation of God's very being. In every way, Jesus is greater than and presented God more accurately than all who came before him, including the writers of the Old Testament. And what this leads us to understand is that though all Scripture is divinely inspired, as Paul spoke of it, Jesus' revelation of God must be seen as more clear and less cloudy than the writers of the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul said, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I only know in part, then I will fully know, even as I have been fully known. As this was true for Paul, as it is true for us, so it was for the Old Testament writers. The authority of Jesus, the presentation of Jesus in his teachings, who he was, how he lived, is a picture of God. And what we see in him is what God looks like. The second theme I want to highlight is the presence of God's kingdom life. All of Jesus' teaching is an explanation of his declaration of the now available presence of God's kingdom life. In the introduction of his gospel, Mark says, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, saying, the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Or as another translation describes it, Jesus came into Galilee announcing the good news from God. All the preliminaries had been taken care of. The rule of God is now accessible to everyone. Review your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. The good news of the availability of God's kingdom life was at the heart of all of Jesus' teachings and actions. Immediately before the Sermon on the Mount, both Matthew and Luke include a summary description about Jesus and his ministry, describing it this way, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness among the people. 
So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Jesus' ministry of healing and deliverance were demonstrations of the presence of God's kingdom life that was then available in and through him and is still available in and through him today. Jesus' teaching and proclamation, including the Sermon on the Mount, were descriptions and explanations of God's kingdom life in contrast to the perishing life. Dallas Willard describes the Sermon on the Mount this way. He says, what we have come to call the Sermon on the Mount is a concise statement of Jesus' teachings on how to actually live in the reality of God's present kingdom available to us from the very space surrounding our bodies. It concludes with a statement that all who hear and do what he there says will have a life that can stand up to anything and everything. That is, a life for eternity because it is already in the eternal. A kingdom commonly refers to a country or territory or realm ruled by a king or queen. The kingdom of God, as described by Jesus, can be thought of as the realm where God rules, or in more simple language, where what God wants done is done. Living in a kingdom is to experience the kind of life available in that kingdom. When someone lives in the kingdom of Great Britain, not unlike other countries ruled by democracies, they experience the life that's available under the king or queen or the legislative government. When we see the way Jesus treated and related to people such as Gentiles, women, outcasts, the marginalized, along with healing every disease, every sickness among the people, along with those influenced and controlled by demonic spirits being set free, we see aspects and expressions of what God's kingdom is like. That's what life in God's kingdom looks like. Anybody want to live there? You can. Jesus walking on water, calming storms, multiplying bread, directing Peter to go get a coin to pay their taxes from a fish's mouth are all expressions of what God's kingdom is like. It is a life that is unlimited by provision from God. Jesus is going to talk about that very thing in the Sermon on the Mount. A significant difference between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God is that God's kingdom is primarily spiritual, though it has influence in the physical realm, as clearly seen in the life of Jesus. It is spiritual, but it has influence in the physical realm. Though this does not 
make it any less real, it is more difficult to see and to experience. Lastly, God's kingdom, because it is spiritual, is not spatial, meaning it is not identifiable in a location, but rather is everywhere, including within us. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand or is near, he's describing its availability right where we are right now. God in heaven, heaven as understood by the Jews, had multiple realms. And one of the realms of heaven is the very atmosphere, the very air where we breathe. And when we say Father in heaven, we typically think of the far spatial reaches beyond the universe. But what Jesus is actually saying is, Father who is right here with us. The kingdom of God is here. It is now. It is available for us. The third theme I want to highlight is the availability of eternal life now. While the term eternal life seems to be describing something about the length of life or a particular time period, it is really more describing a kind of life. In fact, Eternal life specifically is describing God's kind of life. In the opening statement of the Apostle John's first letter, he says something that I had missed. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this life Concerning the word of life, this life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. While John is speaking of Jesus as the word of life, he specifically speaks of eternal life in the last statement as that which was with the Father. Eternal life is the life of God. The life that God the Father has and the life that Jesus experienced while on earth, even before His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave. Jesus experienced and lived out the eternal life of God. God's life on earth prior to his death and resurrection. In John 5:24, Jesus says, "Very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life." Notice Jesus's words there. Anyone who hears and believes has eternal life. They and has passed from death to life. 
mistakenly, eternal life has been described and thought of as something that we're going to get after we die. But clearly, Jesus is not saying anything like that in this passage. Faith in Jesus, who he was and what he did, transitions us from a life described as death to a life described as eternal life, the very life of God. The Apostle Paul reinforces this understanding. God, who is rich in mercy out of great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Already. Not after we die will he make us alive. He has made us already alive together with Christ. In the garden, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they did not immediately pass from the eternal life that they had been living to death, the cessation of their physical body, right? In fact, they lived for like 900 years or something crazy like that. But they did begin to die. And they did transition or passed from the eternal life that they had known, that they had been living, and began to live this perishing life that every human being now experiences from the moment they were born. Jesus and Paul spoke of that perishing life as death, as a kind of death. And the reason is, is because that life, the perishing life, is life separated from God. Adam and Eve made a choice. You and I make choices. People make choices to pursue God's life or to have the world the way we want it. In the only place Jesus defines eternal life, in his prayer to the Father in John 17, he defines eternal life relationally, not via time. And he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know God means to have relationship with Him. To have relationship with God is to have life, His life, eternal life. It is to experience the with God life. And as God is love, eternal life is the experience of a life of love. Love is what eternal life is made of. To not not know God, not having relationship with Him, is to not have life. Now, I say that, but truly, we're all experiencing, everyone experiences the life of God to a great degree. The sun shines, the rain falls. Paul references this. But in in reality, as we turn from God, to not have life is to experience dying. 
which is the perishing life. It is to experience life without God, without relationship, without intimacy, without experiencing His love relationally. As God is love, to not know God is to not experience a life of love. In John 3.16, the foundational verse about the availability of eternal life, Jesus says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Notice that eternal life is not contrasted with death but with perishing. Perish, we've said before, is not death but is the experience of the lack of life. When a tomato or any fruit is picked, it begins to perish. The perishing life is life detached from God and does ultimately lead to death and the termination of these physical bodies. But Jesus said, he who believes in me will not die. And what is before us as we would transition from this life to the diminishing and termination of these physical bodies is not death. It is life. Life in all its fullness. Life unhindered. Relationship with God. God's desire is that none would have to experience the perishing life. His offer of eternal life now has always been His desire for humankind. A few weeks ago when Claire and I were on our vacation, we were reading together and studying some various materials and I was having some devotions and I, I was thinking about the perishing life and I, I wondered, gosh, is the perishing life in the Old Testament or is it all about, you know, death and eternal life? Life after we die or something. And so I looked up the word perish, found its Hebrew term, and then began to look at passage after passage after passage after passage after passage after passage that talks about the perishing life. That's translated destroy or destruction. But it's also the word for perishing, interestingly. Yes, the ultimate expression of perishing for a fruit or a human being is death, is destruction. It's the end of the body. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy, though. No, no change. <laughs> I didn't even, in this case, I didn't even change it to the word perish. The translators actually left that word in this time. This is Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, a little bit longer. But just... Just listen to the words of this. Think about eternal life. Think about Jesus' message. Think about the Sermon on the Mount even. Today I set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in His ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live 
and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. You will experience God's life, His life of abundance. But if your heart turns away, and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, if you choose to go your own way and have the world the way you want it, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. You will not experience God's eternal life. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life, God's life, and death, the perishing life, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying Him and holding fast to Him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And the land is a picture of the kingdom of God, the life of God available to them as it is to us. The message of Jesus is about a kind of life that we can experience right now and that can turn around the perishing life of everyone out there who doesn't yet know Him. We have the keys to the kingdom. We have the keys to God's life on earth now. And it's time we take those keys out to a few other people because they're perishing. They're living lives of destruction leading to death. Loving God, walking in His ways, and observing His commandments, decrees, and ordinances is not so much about following rules. It's about choosing life with God. It's about eternal life filled with God in His life. Does that make sense? You know, if we all followed, if the whole world followed the Ten Commandments, be pretty, would be a pretty different world. But is not murdering really the epitome of how it is to relate to others? Jesus says that's not sufficient. He says anger is a problem. Bitterness is a problem. There's a lot of aspects of the perishing life that's much less than going out and killing somebody. The thing about the kingdom of God, this realm of God's presence, God's life, as Kevin said last week, it's not something that we can experience in the future per se, it's not something that we can look back and experience in the past, though perhaps we can see glimpses of it. We experience God's eternal life 
now, in the present. And it has to do with a, an awareness of his presence with us as we, as a congregation, as leadership team, look to remind us all in. When our heart turns away from God, we disconnect from him. We choose life to be the way we want it, and we are choosing the perishing life. You know, it's pretty amazing how much blame and heat God's taken by people who blame Him for their unhappy life. When in reality, it is the choices they have made and continue to make that leads most to a perishing life rather than the superabundant life. Now, that's not to say that all pain and suffering we experience is a result of our own choices. We know that's not true. All human beings have choice. And frequently, their choices hurt others. And there is evil in our world through demonic beings that are antagonistic to God, seeking to cause harm and hurt. Jesus is clear about this in John 10.10. The enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life, God's life, eternal life, and have it super abundantly. There is Nothing that can hinder you from experiencing the love of God except yourself. And to the degree that we can learn to posture ourselves to welcome and embrace the love of God, which is the life of God, which is the kingdom of God, will be the degree to which we experience this eternal kind of life now. When we choose to have the world the way we want it, we're cooperating with the evil one whose desire and intention is for us to experiencing the perishing life. But that's not what God wants for you. It's not what he wants for me. It's not what he wants for anyone. Last statement. Living in the kingdom of God, having an experiencing eternal life now is about a loving, interactive relationship with God and one another in our real life. And as our narrative reminds us, it is about being a part of the great family of God it's about becoming like Jesus in all things through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It's about experiencing God's love and as we do, to love Him, to love one another, and to love His lost and hurting world. As we conclude, I want, I want to give you a moment. It's kind of what I've been doing lately, initially, as we end, which is simply a, a time to pause to be still, to reflect, to consider what we've heard. And more, perhaps importantly, what is God wanting to say to you this morning? One of the privileges of being God's child is that we can hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is nudging you as he's nudging me this morning. 
Would you take just a moment? Would you just simply be still and ask God, God, what would you say to me? And listen. Loving Father, Jesus, Spirit, thank you for speaking. Thank you for your indwelling presence in life. Would you open our eyes to see more clearly your eternal realm, your kingdom realm, your presence, your love, you with us, you in us, and in all of us. Would you open our eyes to the many choices we make on a daily basis that are choices of the perishing life, the choices that are about wanting the world the way we want it, where we move from the posture of Jesus who said, not my will, but your will be done. Would you give us eyes to see that we might then stand, rethink that thinking and that idea, repent, and return to you. For you are with us. you love us and there is nothing that can hinder that love reaching us but our own choice your kingdom come your will be done in our lives in this church in this city and around the world for your glory, and in the name of Jesus, let it be so. Good to be back with you all. We're going to be moving forward in the Sermon on the Mount, the next section's on anger, and then on um, lust, and then on marriage. It's good stuff. You may want to be stuff we all struggle with a little bit, probably. It's the perishing life, and Jesus wants us to experience the eternal kind of life, so he's going to tell us about it, how to get it, what to do. So come hang out with us as uh, we move into that material over the next few weeks. Have a great week. If you would like uh, someone to pray with, we will have folks that will step up here momentarily, and they are here. Would love to be a part of your experiencing God this morning, and you're experiencing the with God life. So we would love a chance to chat, talk, pray with you, whatever you sense might be of need for you. Have a great day. Uh, have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.